0: I say, when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we're really fucking tired. Like we're so just so tired. Bad. Like
0: literally tired. So
1: literally tired. I mean, for me personally, figuratively tired. Like it spiritually. Is, you know, weak. It is yes, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically um everything yeah (laughs) it has been a week and i am lauren Humphreys brooks with me as always is karen peterson hello karen hello so i know why i'm tired i'm tired because a whole bunch of assholes just like came after me on twitter for an admittedly badly worded tweet i absolutely accept that it was badly worded i was not getting the point across that i wanted to get to get across although some people did get it but a lot of people didn't i completely understand that Then it kind of turned into sort of a lot of people taking shots at me for no apparent reason. And um, yeah, that was bad. That sucked. So I had to lock my account for a couple of days. That was also fun. By the way, to no one who was coming after me is listening to this podcast, but I just want to say, fuck you all. Uh, I still fucking hate Brian De Palma. I still fucking hate Quentin Tarantino. And I also hate Donald Trump. Those are things that I can feel at the same time. That's all but how can
0: you say that Quentin Tarantino is Donald Trump, Lauren? What are you talking about?
1: I, <laughs> again, poorly worded tweet. And I should have remembered that Twitter cannot get tone in any sense. So if you put people's names in the same tweet, very often people will read it as being, these, these groups of people are all exactly the same, which yeah. was not the intention. I should have thought of that. Uh, absolutely, may a couple my problem on that, on that instance, but I do not know how many times I can say I'm allowed to really dislike Quentin Tarantino's films and to think that he's a creep. And I'm also allowed to really dislike Donald Trump and Bill Cosby and to feel that all of them, in fact, really don't have pla- have a good place in our society. That is my feeling. That is not saying that Quentin Tarantino and Donald Trump are the same person. <laughs> or that what they did is on the same scale or that the things that they do are on the same scale, whatever, like, Jesus Christ.
0: And yes, yes, Denis Villeneuve, by all accounts, is a lovely human being. That does not mean his movies are not fully misogynist.
1: Well, yeah, and that was ultimately my point, which is what I was trying to say. And I was actually kind of talking to the people that I know that follow me and kind of know know my feelings about these various directors, not (laughs) random dudes on Twitter. And some women, some women were assholes too, you know, props to you ladies. You are are working your way up the ladder in terms of being assholes on the internet. Um, Yeah, Denis Villeneuve makes, in my opinion, in the opinions of many people, very misogynist films. I, so does Zack Snyder. Those dudes seem to be very nice dudes. Their actors like them, everything. There is no reason to suspect that they are not nice people otherwise, but they still make really problematic art. That's, that's just, that is my opinion. That's the opinion of a lot of people. Yes. We're allowed to feel that way. Oh,
0: we are, mind. yes.
1: I was, I was interested in the names that people objected to on that list though. Yeah, because there were because it was Denis Villeneuve and Brian De Palma, those were the ones that people got really defensive about. Mm -hmm. I found it really interesting that, like, Snyder and Tarantino, no one got defensive at it. I was like, (laughs) Oh no, you
0: you must have muted before you saw some of that because it was funny (laughs) how a couple of people were like, I can't believe she has issues with some of the best directors of our time, and Zach Snyder.
1: well at least you know what at least they can admit that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and zach snyder no no one i don't think that anyone really thinks that zach snyder's
0: a good film I,
1: guess, um, I
0: know some people who genuinely sincerely think he no, is I... and they yeah wow i,
1: I, mean, I you question know, a lot of
0: things yeah You know, people can
1: have their own opinions i mean that's not going to convince me that sucker punch isn't a like painfully misogynist film. And I don't think it's a touchingly misogynist necessarily, but it boy howdy does it come off like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago uh when we talked about more specifically about Snyder is like I think a lot of times he's just going for what looks cool in his mind, what he thinks looks cool, what he thinks the audience is going to like and turns out he's pretty right about that as far as his own audience knows them very well but i think that he makes a lot of mistakes and he makes a lot of unintentional um unintentionally problematic uh movies or at least scenes in movies and characters and things i don't think he i don't think he means to do it most of the time i think he's just so unaware (laughs) that it (laughs) happens just kind of
1: Well, and to be honest, and I do think that Villeneuve is is a um, better filmmaker than than Snyder is. But I I think that Villeneuve has a similar problem in the sense that he, so you know, one of the arguments that's made about Sucker Punch, which is the Snyder film, is that you know it's actually a critique, that it's a satire, right? It's like okay, so it's like it's satirizing the kind of exploitation of women okay, so fine, I, you know, I'm willing to, to accept that that might have been the intention, but that's not how it works, right? And, and I think that Villeneuve has a similar issue. One of his excuses for the rampant misogyny in um, Blade Runner 2049 was that, well, that's the way that the world is to women, right? It's like, okay, but representation does not equal critique. Showing misogynist behavior or misogynist society does not mean that you're critiquing the society and that can be a really difficult thing to do in in anything and of course people are going to misinterpret it people are going to misunderstand what the intention was all kinds of things but if that was his intention in blade runner 2049 i think that he failed and the way that he failed was by solely representing it without actually satirizing it parodying it showing it to be the empty behavior for what it is you can't just show violence against women and say well we're criticizing it's like no you you're fetishizing it actually Mm -hmm. and that might not be what you want to do that might not be your plan but that's how it's look that's how it looks and that's how it comes up and um i think that in terms of someone like brian de palma de palma has actually said like that he makes thrillers well how can you make a thriller without objectifying women like he's literally said that And I absolutely believe that he thinks he cannot make a thriller without treating women as objects. (laughs) Um, And again, that's not saying that he's, you know, being disingenuous or anything like that. It says that he's probably not a great artist, Um, but it also says that he has a lot of internalized misogyny and probably a lot of uninvestigated misogyny. If you cannot imagine a, a thriller film in which women are not brutalized, then there's that's a you problem that's not a problem of the genre yeah and that's not an excuse for continuing to to create films in which women are brutalized so again my opinion uh yeah i don't like Mm -hmm. these dudes it's it's cool
0: (laughs) yep exactly i'm with you i'm with you
1: anyways let's talk about other things um i did want to address briefly as kind of an offshoot of all of this um this question of directors and we've talked about this before so you know we don't need to spend tons of time on it but um this issue of directors mistreating members of their cast in order to get the shot and some of the most famous ones are, are people like stanley kubrick and his treatment of Shelley Duvall um but it's it's one of those things that is kind of has kind of run throughout the history of cinema actually directors you know abusing their abusing their cast abusing their crew um treating treating people like they're like they're animals you know treating them like they're not really full human beings things like that in order to get a response that then they capture on film and kubrick is is one of the the worst in that in terms of that, but you know you also, you've also got Bertolucci who um, uh, yeah. and and Last Tango in Paris. You've got and you've got other directors even earlier that Eric von Stroheim was notorious for abusing his actors. Um, Alfred Hitchcock abused his actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and we have tended to venerate those filmmakers and to say that it's justified at some level that they that it's okay as long as it's in the interest of art
0: oh i remember when i was like in high school and we went to universal studios and they had this little um not little they had this this one areas exhibit type of thing where or show where you went through like how they did visual effects for three different movies and they showed like Um, some practical effects and then they showed the the use of the green screen and they did this whole thing about hitchcock and psycho and um or not psycho um the green screen part they were talking about like rear window and stuff but in that that's that's when they started telling the stories about some of the the things that he did in his movies and that was the first time i'd ever heard about how um they'd been trying to do the shower scene for several days and then he just like had them switch the water in the shower to cold to get that reaction from her, uh the right scream reaction and um and I remember hearing that at like 14 years old and thinking like oh ha 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 that's funny. And I mean that's something pretty minor in the scheme of the things that you're referencing here, but like over the years as I've learned more and more about doing those kinds of things to actors, I'm like wait, <laughs> that kind of stuff is not cool. Like if you have to do that to like trick your actors into getting the right reaction then either you don't have the right actors or you're not a very good director.
1: Well yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, so so the psycho thing is not is small in comparison like, like yeah yeah, yeah totally um but there there's like a, there's a whole thing w- with rebecca that you know hitchcock b- basically mistreated joan fontaine and ignored her and like wouldn't talk to her and things like that and he told the rest of the crew to do that as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and also, and the whole the goal supposedly was that was to like you know get her performance as being like alienated and all of that and it's like well just she's an actress just fucking tell her To do that, right? Don't, don't, don't decide that you're going to like again, and that's psychological abuse. And I do think that there is a difference between um, between a director going into a film and saying, "Okay, we're going to do dangerous shit," Mm -hmm. and and here are the dangerous things that we're going to do. And and people are
0: signing on for that, Yeah. yeah, and
1: saying like, "Yes, I'm comfortable with that." And I mean, famously, you know, Werner Herzog has all kinds of issues, but a lot of the time, at least he um in a lot of his films he is right there with everybody. He's like, "Okay, we're going to do something really dangerous right now. Everybody cool with that? All right, let's do it," you know? And and if the actors are signing on to that, you know, that's one thing. That's different than, you know, subjecting people to torture. Yeah. In order to get to get the shot that you want, the image that you want, the reaction that you want yeah um and yeah and it's it's deeply problematic and of course you know what kind of launched all of this for me was talking about tarantino again and and yeah uma thurman is still friends with him i questioned that a little bit because i don't know i wouldn't still be friends with someone I'm friends with that people
0: who aren't good for my health or mental health you know
1: I mean, this is not something that I I would forgive necessarily. She's forgiven him, fine, whatever. That doesn't mean that we as viewers should be approving of it. And we certainly shouldn't be venerating it. And I think that that's what bothers me the most in all of this is that we still act as though this kind of behavior from directors is acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, the end result is the important part and it's like no no art is worth people nearly dying for
0: exactly well and that's the thing like when i said before like if you have to do that kind of stuff then you're not a very good director obviously the directors that we're talking about are good directors like kubrick amazing hitchcock amazing tarantino uh, whatever he makes like his on a technical level his movies are fine it's the stories that i have problems with um and and so that's the thing it's like they don't have to resort to these tactics to get what they want in their movies they do it and then people suffer for it but they they're better than that and they don't need to do it and it's very yeah it's very frustrating to hear these stories and to understand what mostly the women in their movies are going through for their art because they're the artist
1: yeah, I think that is very indicative that a lot of these stories involve actresses. That they do not. A lot of them do not involve actors. Yep. Um, and and I think that 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 definitely that definitely says something. I think it also says what people what directors think they can get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and another one that always shocks me when I hear about it, and then I'm kind of like, how come no one like mentions the fact that this is a major issue? Is um, William Friedkin and his treatment and, and like some of the violence that was perpetrated against linda blair Mm -hmm. in uh in the exorcist like she she permanently injured herself in one of those shots because they were because they were trying like the the machines the way that the machines were acting were being too violent with her body this is a child a literal child yeah um
0: well and what's his face killed someone on set (laughs) yeah so no exactly that's, something that didn't need to be happening
1: that well and that's the thing again uma thurman could have been killed mm-hmm. like she could have died it is actually she actually got quite lucky that she wasn't yeah and then we would be having a very different conversation right now um yep and and i yeah i just think that we need to stop kind of venerating this we need to stop excusing it obviously we can't do anything about directors from the past but we can begin to shift things in the present
0: yeah well and that's Um, i know i've talked about this before but that's why you know when i talk to certain female directors about things that are um mostly the psychological elements of their movies like when i was talking to jennifer kent about um <laughs> Shoot, I just blanked on the name of the movie, The
1: Nightingale.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, and I talked to her about that, and I talked about, you know, did she try to keep her to Ashley and Frank Yossi and and um, what's his face? Oh man, I'm struggling this morning. Uh, I'm always struggling on.
1: is it Sam? Cla- uh, yeah, Sam, Sam
0: Claflin. Coffin. Yeah. Yeah. So I was asking her, like, did you try to keep those two away from each other so that that animosity would really be clear on screen? Like, what did you do? And she's like, no, I felt like that would be the worst possible decision. And I insisted that they spend time together and be comfortable together so that when they had to film these really grueling, brutal scenes of intense violence, that they would feel safe and know, like, this isn't this person doing it to me. This is me in a role. And this is happening.
1: Well, yeah, exactly, and and I, I think that it says that they're perfectly good films. There are many, many great films have been made that did not like permanently damage actors, either yeah. psychologically or, or uh, physically, right? Exactly. And so obviously good films can be made without that happening, you know, David Lynch, um, he runs a great set according to everybody. Again, you know, you can talk, you can argue about the actual, like the actual um, content of his films, but his actors love him and he makes some really psychologically and emotionally disturbing movies Mm -hmm. right these are not easy films but he's not you know ah kyle mclaughlin i want you to go and abuse laura dern yeah because so that i can get the right shot it's like no let's make everybody comfortable and friendly and happy and yeah we're gonna do some fucked up stuff but we're doing it together
0: Mm -hmm. exactly yeah
1: (laughs) anyways i just wanted to address that again because it was something that uh, we've been talking about and thinking about and everything and yeah uh, I let's like just we,
0: yeah let's just like, stop saying this is the way to make yeah. art because it's not and there's exactly. lots of examples of how it's not exactly
1: so moving on let's start with uh, a couple of of questions because we had some interesting questions we just sort of put out like a feeler to be like oh, ask us about movies because we want to talk <laughs> about some fun things um and so this is one that i don't have a lot of information on i'm karen i have no idea if you know the answer to it um but this is from at Kami mason i once heard that when the oscar started it was somewhat embarrassing to be nominated for supporting actor or actress and leading actors tried hard to avoid it um you know a lot more film history than me so i was wondering if you could verify this so i i don't i don't know the answer to this it makes sense to me um but do, do you have
0: any idea karen so this is one that doesn't really have a clear answer as far as i've been able to to figure out so um i think that it's just like today there are certain actors who don't want to be submitted for supporting even when their role is definitely more supporting and they would probably win if they went that way they want that lead oscar so i don't think that it's necessarily like that it was, um, an industry wide attitude, but it definitely was an attitude that a lot of people had. So, um, yes and no, I guess is the right answer. So it's, it's, it kind of, it was very situational and it just came down to the person. I think in the beginning of the Academy in general, um, a lot of people didn't care that much about the Oscars. <laughs> so, like, I mean, half the time they wouldn't even be there. So they wouldn't go if they were nominated. Um, and a lot of times they didn't have to because in the early days, like before, 19, I think it was it was in the 40s um, when they stopped giving out the winner's list ahead of time because someone accidentally broke an embargo. Um, but uh which that's that was a fun story i think it was the la times that did that on accident (laughs) but um but yeah so before that it was like a lot of times they knew who was gonna win ahead of time anyway so it wasn't like that big of a deal i mean people wanted it but you know because they like to get awards but it just i don't know the the attitude has been kind of back and forth i think it, it just depended on the person there are some people who just never would accept like i am not a supporting player i am the lead and that that is an attitude that still persists today for people so
1: i mean you know when you're talking about actors we're often dealing with some pretty massive egos oh yeah um and you you kind of have to be egotistical in order to be a successful actor in a lot of ways i don't know how you survive otherwise
0: well not only that but also when you're constantly dealing with people telling you how great you are yeah you want to believe that (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah, exactly so it doesn't surprise me that there's like this kind of resistance no i am a i'm the lead in in all of this even if you're really a supporting player yeah Um, and then you end
0: up not getting nominated at all
1: (laughs) and and a lot of it is definitely political too is Mm -hmm. is um you know how because it's about also promoting your own career and stuff like that yeah yeah so, thank you, Mason. So yes
0: and no is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> so that's the answer. Yes, but also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so th- thank, you, Mason, for that. And uh, and you know, keep on shooting us questions because we like we like getting questions for this. Um, another question that we had was from our friend at Nanina Gilder. And this was one that I hadn't heard of until she mentioned it. So I was like, really? Okay. And then I Googled it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually going on. Um, so she, she asks, thoughts on the proposed readaptation of Guys and Dolls. Um, Bill Condon is now tapped to direct. To me, the only way it might work uh, is with an all black cast like the uh, 1976 Broadway revival. It's a mix of anti-establishment, petty criminality and religion is perfect in a Harlem Renaissance setting. That is absolutely true. And it's funny because I I didn't know that they had done a re-adaptation of Guys and Dolls or a revival of Guys and Dolls in 1976. That's a fantastic idea. Um, I can see how that would work really well bill condon i mean i i have a feeling that this is going to be pretty straight star-studded you know musical adaptation this isn't going you know this so bill condon directed chicago right
0: no that was um oh my gosh i am terrible today what is going on um rob marshall you sure yeah Positive. yeah Bill Condon oh, wow. did Dreamgirls and... Variety,
1: Variety lied to me because I was looking at uh, I was looking at Variety's article and they, <gasps> they say he's the Oscar award winning filmmaker behind Chicago, Dreamgirls and Beauty and the Beast.
0: What? Yeah. Oh. No. Unless he like oh wait i think he he wrote i think he wrote chicago did
1: he write it okay all right so not completely out of
0: my mind yeah 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 yeah, i
1: was just i was just looking at the variety article i was like really oh (laughs) oh dear um okay
0: so he
1: did he did dream girl
0: (laughs) so so it's both Bill Condon and rob marshall on chicago okay
1: (laughs) anyways uh yeah, so Bill Kahn, Bill I mean, I think Dreamgirls is very good. Um, sh- I don't like Chicago for a multitude of reasons, but whatever. Um, I, I have a feeling it's this, this sounds like it's probably going to be a pretty straight uh, adaptation of Guys and Dolls. I doubt that this is going to do anything really interesting with it. Uh, so do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Um... I don't necessarily I agree with Nanina. I think that changing it up would be a lot of fun and would be a good reason to make it because I'm very much of the opinion I have no problem with remaking movies, but there needs to be a reason to do it. And and that doesn't have to be a strong reason. You can it can be like we just want to, but you need to do something different with it to establish, you know, why you're why you're doing it in the first place. But other than just that you wanted to, but um my concern in this is with bill condon directing i think that like you say i think it's just going to be a pretty straightforward um movie i I think that a lot of the stuff that he's done is fine i think dream girls is fine i think beating the beast is fine the good liar from a couple years ago was actually not bad so it's like he makes movies that are fine i don't feel like he makes movies that are just like overwhelmingly like wow that was amazing and i have no reason to believe that guys and dolls will be you know i am a little concerned about who he's gonna cast in it so yeah
1: i i i am almost i'm very wary <laughs> about mm-hmm. who he's going to cast i mean if he actually goes with an all-black cast or or like kind of a um a diverse cast you know yeah, let's I think just that that, mix
0: it up let's make yeah it... that could
1: be really interesting you know and there's a lot of things you could do with that i don't know it's i like the show i like guys and dolls i actually love the original film um even though it's yes it's very silly no marlon brando can't sing but it's still like incredibly entertaining to me mm-hmm. and i i think that it, it gets at the humor it gets it kind of the energy and the patter and all of that and i really like that you know it also has some weird ass songs in it i want to know if they i want to know if they are going to include papa pet me uh
0: we can only hope
1: i mean they better we we've got to have that like if they could do it in the 1950s they can definitely include it in in 2022 like come on uh, <laughs> but you know it's it's an entertaining it's an entertaining show and everything but yeah so i, I don't have strong feelings about this i think i'm with you i think it's gonna, it's probably going to be fine yeah <laughs> which is sad because i would like some non just fine musicals we've had a lot of fine musicals
0: well apparently we're getting something pretty crazy later on this year with a movie called annette <laughs> which was mm-hmm. uh the talk of can this week with uh, adam driver and marion Cotillard, who by the way is dubbed in this movie really because she's playing an opera singer and she doesn't sing opera uh, so it's like okay but she won an academy award for playing edith piaf the woman <laughs> can sing why are you dubbing her
1: i mean opera is its own animal though sure but does it
0: have to be opera like why did they write it that way write it to something that she can sing or cast an opera singer (laughs) yeah yeah exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) well but opera singers are not married so there you go
0: (laughs) yeah anyway
1: all right so let's see let's let's talk about like what films we've been watching recently because i've actually been watching some quite a smorgasbord of of interesting films. (laughs) Um, So I decided in the midst of like locking my Twitter account and making people leave me alone, I decided that I was going to watch the three hour version of uh, Visconti's The Leopard starring Burt Lancaster and Alain Delon. And I'm very glad that I did because for a film in which there is no real definable plot arc, it is fascinating uh it's like and again this is a this is a three-hour film that takes place in italy in like the 1880s i believe um and it's basically about it's about garibaldi's um garibaldi's rebellion and then the shifting of italian politics and italian culture over the course of uh over the course of a number of years actually and particularly filtered through the perspective of the leopard played by bert lancaster who's this old school um, Sicilian nobleman and is, is kind of dealing with the fact that his way of life and in fact, the entire culture that he has existed in and that has given, given him a great deal of power and prestige is dying, it's changing. And there's very little that he can do about that. So it's this fascinating, gorgeous rumination um on that shift and it goes to places that i didn't completely expect i expected it to i expected his character to be a lot more resistant to what was happening but there is this fatalism that begins to evolve um, uh, over the course of the film it's visconti so it's beautiful like it's beautifully shot Uh, it's incredibly complex um it's very like controlled emotionally in some ways and then just like incredibly emotionally deep at the same time. Um, and it, it's it's a brilliant film. It's, it's on the Criterion channel right now. It does go off at the end of the month. So if you want to see it, I really recommend it. Watch the original three hour film in Italian. Um, there is a version, there's an American version that I think is like about an hour and 45 minutes or two hours. Uh, I do not know how you could cut this film down and still have it have the same degree of impact. Um, it's, it's a brilliant film.
0: I've never seen it. So I will look out for it. Thank you.
1: If you have three hours to kill, uh (laughs) (laughs) over I watched it over the course of a couple of days, I admit that. Um, but so uh so what have you been watching this week, Karen? Anything that you want to recommend?
0: Yeah, so um earlier this week I re-watched a movie that I saw last year at Sundance and it's finally out in the world, and that is Zola from Janique Sabravo it's an A24 film it's in theaters right now and it it's um it's not a funny movie actually but it has some funny stuff to it um it's adapted from a 148 tweet thread from a few years ago and in this story this woman named Zola uh well Nick that's her nickname Uh, she talks she tells this story about how she met this girl at her work like she was a waitress and this girl came in and they got to talking and the next thing she knew she was off on this weekend trip to go dancing she's a stripper uh, down in florida and make a bunch of money and then what ends up happening over the course of these next few days just gets progressively uh, darker and scarier and, and, um, and it's just this wild, wild story. And it's one of those things where it's like, this cannot all be real, but she's got like photos and stuff like to back up her version of events. And it's, it's a crazy movie. It's definitely one of those. That's not for everyone. The day I was going to see it, my, I was talking to my mom and I said, oh yeah, I'm going to the movies. And she's like, what are you seeing? And I was like, well, I'm seeing one that I intentionally did not invite you to (laughs) because you would not enjoy it. (laughs) So, but, um, but really, really good. Uh, Taylor page plays Zola Riley Keogh is in it. She plays this white girl that gets Zola to take off with them. and, And then Coleman Domingo plays this very, very intense, scary dude. And he's so good. And, um, uh, Nicholas Braun from Succession isn't it too? basically playing cousin Greg <laughs> but in like a even sillier way and it's just it's perfect. it works so well. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very um, it's just it really is one of those stories where you're watching it and you're like this this is just unbelievable. it's this cannot be real and yet it seems like it might actually be real. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah but it's and and again like yeah it's wild and a lot of people are talking about it in a way that makes it seem like it's kind of a funny movie but it's really not and it um one of the things that i think that that bravo does so well because she wrote and directed it and i think she does such a good job of um of establishing that this is not a lifestyle that you should judge these are people who are trying to make a living and yeah what they do and, and the drugs and all these other things and the situations that they end up in are, are chaotic and messy, but it's not our place to judge the the decisions and the actions and the choices of other people. And there are some really um really good moments where you get that, where someone's like, Hey, look, you do you, I'm gonna do me. And that's that's okay. You know, we just don't, we don't look at the world the same way, and that's fine. And so I think she does a really good um, makes a really good point with that so yep
1: this this is one that I I've definitely wanted to see because I I think I remembered the tweet thread um, yeah I remember when it went viral and like people passing it around and everything so and I just I think that 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 might be one of the reasons why people are talking about it like it's funny because there is that like there's that humor in oh my god how can this how can yeah this exactly keep on yeah. going mm-hmm. kind of thing, right yeah even when the events <laughs> might be horrifying right or might be like jesus christ you know? yeah
0: it's that total disbelief of like this no it's there's... just like
1: what what can possibly happen next right know?
0: where's the punchline here? You know, um, here yeah. mm-hmm.
1: and and i think that also you know if you're if you're reading a thread from someone who's experienced something just like okay so you're okay
0: yeah well and that's how it is throughout the movie too like as you're watching it you get like she's narrating the character mm-hmm. is narrating it too and like hey watch out for this guy or i'm gonna not know who this person is for 24 hours you know or whatever and so it's like there's these reminders throughout the film that like this she lived to tell this story so she's gonna get out of here she's gonna be okay you don't know what's gonna happen to anybody else but (laughs) but yeah um i remember the tweet thread too and i remember not like, I, I feel like I saw it the night that it was unfolding and I never finished it. So I never knew what happened. And that's the one thing about the movie that I was a little bit, um, I don't know. I, I would like to understand her choice because in in the in the writing, because it just kind of ends. But there was a mm. definite end to the story in the tweets. So I'm not sure why she didn't follow that through Mm -hmm. especially because this movie is also only about a hundred and like an hour and 27 minutes or something like that it's like just under 90 minutes long and so it's like you had a little time to give us a kind of an epilogue here Uh (laughs) so so i don't know why but yeah definitely definitely one that i want you to watch so we can talk about it
1: yes i i am interested in seeing this film um cool well I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you liked it it sounds it does sound interesting and I've been very intrigued by kind of the the stuff that everyone is talking about um, yeah yeah
0: I, like I said I saw it last year at Sundance and um, I wasn't at the premiere showing I saw it a couple of days later and everyone was talking about it so um so when I saw it I was not sure I like i was expecting to find something just like really fascinating and good which i got but i just was not i was not even fully prepared for for what it is and what she does with with color and the way that they use instruments like the um they use harps and xylophones and stuff to make just really interesting musical cues that are are just like i haven't seen a movie done quite like that and so it was it was pretty cool so i think you're gonna really like it
1: cool I would be interested to see it. Well, uh, well, speaking of contemporary films, since we're talking about these right now, um, so we both, I believe, got to watch at least the first Fear Street film. Yeah. Um, And last night I actually watched uh, 78, uh, i kind of watched
0: it <laughs> i need to watch it again though
1: well as i was saying before before we started recording you know like part way through um my my dog began barking, and i was like oh i need to pay attention to that and then i came back and a whole bunch of people were dead
0: which is just basically had, how this movie works
1: and and you know what and i i do hate one of the things i do hate about streaming is that there is no streaming service that makes it easy to rewind <laughs> um that is so, true so i was like sitting there with my net with my little control and i was just like come on i i just want to see like what happened that all of these people are suddenly dead like i i was here they were there one minute and now they're all been slaughtered i just need to see the part where they get slaughtered um (laughs) but yeah so i i think that it says a lot though that i like turned away for you know 30 seconds or a minute maybe and everyone had died (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the Fear Street films are kind of an interesting phenomenon right now because I, this is the first time I can remember having films that are in a trilogy that are being released weekly on a streamer so they're, they're kind of, um, one of my friends actually compared it to like miniseries on uh, like the dune miniseries on sci-fi back in the day
0: yeah or like the stand or they because it used yeah. to be like an annual event where they would do these stephen king miniseries where they'd be it'd be four nights and it'd be two hours per night and yeah it was a whole event
1: yeah and and i think that we've become less accustomed to that but these are like full films right they're they're mm-hmm. all about an hour and 50 minutes um they have their own arcs they have their own reference points you know and you do have recurring characters throughout all of them obviously and so it's it's interesting to see them play out kind of in real time because when the first one came out I was like oh I'm really excited for the next one you know in like a couple of months and there's mm-hmm. like oh no it's being released next week <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like, this is, this is really it's it's interesting it's interesting how streaming is both doing different things but also kind of doing a repeat of some of the things that we used to do miniseries like you say um it's like the thorn birds or something only with a lot more murder uh (laughs) so so fear street uh the fear street films are based on the novels of rl stein oh my god i like goosebumps goosebumps like so many of my generation (laughs) you know we just like grew up on those i never read the later more adult. uh more adult young adults R.L. Stein books where people actually die most most of the time people don't die in Goosebumps stories
0: oh yeah no I see R.L. Stein. like I was too old for the Goosebumps books but I was reading his more YA murder mysteries uh-huh. and those were those were a lot of fun I was obsessed with them
1: I think that I read one that was and I didn't realize that it it was like I I only knew him from Goosebumps and so that's what I assumed it was um and and it was like about a young woman who's it, her boyfriend turns out to be the murderer it's very that's like,
0: like most actually, of them
1: yeah it was actually <laughs> quite shocking I was just like oh my god yeah and again this is me when I was 12 okay so <laughs> well,
0: it's like the boyfriend or the best friend or one of them is like an uncle <laughs> <laughs> like, well yeah.
1: which you know is pretty much in keeping with a lot of slasher films it's yeah usually it's always people the people.
0: person that you trust the most yeah it,
1: it's and and i like i actually like that the fair street films kind of use that only mm-hmm. of course these are people that are being used and manipulated um right so,
0: yeah so
1: the first one is set in 1994 uh and and tells the story basically of these um uh, of this conflict between sunnyvale and shady side <laughs> uh so so fucking classic man and um and this this witch sarah fear who has basically cursed the town of shadyside and all of the people of shadyside and periodically people just go crazy and become serial killers and murder a whole bunch of people um and the argument is always that oh, the witch has possessed them um because of why else would would people just go insane and so you get these really like fascinating really well done slasher stories in the midst of this broader arc about these two towns and about what is actually going on and that's what i think 78 develops really well you get all of the setup in 94 of the characters and of kind of the rules of the world and then you begin to learn more about what is actually going on uh in the 78 film so what what were your thoughts about um, 94 and whatever you managed to watch of 78?
0: <laughs> oh man, I think these are so much fun. And it is funny because like, someone was saying the other day that they really wanted a mixtape of all the music from 94 and i was just like well that's the year i graduated from a high school i probably have one somewhere that has like all of these songs on it so (laughs) um i really i really enjoyed the soundtrack but the the movies themselves i think um they're like the first one i started watching it and it was late at night i was by myself uh, just me and the dog who was staring at me from outside very being very creepy and um I at first I was a little bit creeped out I was just like oh wow they're making this like kind of spooky this is cool and then it was like once the first murder happens I'm like oh okay this is not like a, a really scary horror movie type thing this is just it, it felt more like watching a scream movie so it's kind of campy and and just and silly but but fun
1: yeah it no it definitely has that vibe and i i do think that that's part of the point of the 94 version um that you're getting that kind of post slasher slasher film right yeah
0: because then with uh the 78 one you get sort of this it feels like a friday the 13th or yeah
1: well and it's a lot more violent
0: mm-hmm. um
1: there are a lot more deaths they're like i i was watching it and, and brutal actually, deaths yeah. yeah really violent deaths there are only a few real deaths in um in the 94 one and, mm-hmm. and there's one that is very very distressing yeah. uh for a number of different reasons but i i do like the fact that the films are first of all it's very dedicated in killing off people that you care about Mm-hmm. um you know just like oh i like all of these people oh they're dead
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Like,
1: so i i like that and um and and this is going to sound horrible but i actually i was like i am impressed by the dedication of killing to killing children in the 78 film because mm-hmm. most of the victims in the 78 one are kids like yeah it's like,
0: a summer camp that's actually active it's happening yeah. it's winding down but they're all there still
1: so. yeah so and and that's shocking in a lot of ways that we're not used to that really and i don't i'm not saying that we should be but i was impressed that the film actually was willing to do that and um and did it in a way that it didn't feel it felt nor it felt natural to the film right yeah um yeah i i, I actually i think that i actually really liked the 78 film more than um the 94 one partially because it was willing to go a little bit further and and it also developed some of the the questions that i had going into the 94 film because i i am getting a bit tired of the evil witch kind of story Mm -hmm. um and i knew that something else was probably going on but i wanted a little bit more of that and to get to like okay because the real terror let's talk about it it's not the witches it's the people that burn the witches exactly that's the problem uh the puritans are terrifying the witch probably didn't do anything Um and and I like that they were actually going more into the story of Seraphir and what happened and kind of the origins of this curse and everything. And I yeah, uh so I I really liked the 78 one. Um it is brutal, like I think people should be warned about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and also there's a lot of sex in it which like i don't care that's fine but like i when i watched 94 i had been telling my brother like oh these movies are fun and i was recommending that he and my nephew watch them and then i watched 78 last night and i was just like oh i should warn my brother that he probably doesn't want to watch this with his 16 year old son
1: (laughs) Boy butts though so, you know what <laughs> i am impressed by the fact that i that there's a slasher film where there are no breasts but <laughs> lots of boy butts and yeah, i was yeah. like you know what props to you female director
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs>
1: um yeah th- these are loads of fun they're on netflix uh and and i think that if you like slasher films i think that you just enjoy these they're yeah they're yeah. very much in the in the right vein. I do kind of wish actually that the first, the first one was um, not rate I think it's rated R.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I kind of wish that it wasn't because it feels like it, it should be more directed at teens. Yeah. Um, it's not, just, not just in terms of the, the slasher elements, but in terms of what it's actually grappling with because they actually are dealing with, you know, vilification of the poor, vilification of, um, of LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. um you know and and you get i like the fact that this that these are films but like i said you get to know these characters you get to care about them even though most of them are gonna die
0: yeah, yeah
1: um you you feel like connected to them and you want to understand them and kind of see that they are actually much more than what they're being represented as and i really like that about these films
0: yeah well and and one of the things that i saw a lot of people really excited about with 94 in particular. Well, which I guess this is something that um, crosses over t- across the trilogy, but just the fact that you have this movie, it's a slasher movie and it's a lot of fun that way, but it's the the main, like the, the central um, relationship in the heart of the movie is about two women, two young girls, two young women who can't be together because, you know, society doesn't want them to be because in 94, that was still not as acceptable as it should have been and definitely not as acceptable as it is now and you have these two girls that just want to be together they were together and then they broke up and there was a lot of shame attached to that for one of them in particular yeah and uh yeah having having these stories now it's it's great
1: well and and in the 78 film the relationship is is two is about two sisters right yeah so it they're so far, um, both both of the films that have been released have been very much about female relationships and friendships and romantic relationships, sibling relationships, etc. cetera. it's yeah, a good point. So, so you're you're taking these, and again, it's it's kind of playing with the the whole concept of the final girl, right, um, where where the the final people are almost uniformly female. Yeah, and and the people who are involved are almost uniformly female, or they're outcasts. They're people that are not acceptable, as, you know, within mainstream society for a multitude of reasons. Um, and yeah, it's it's nice, and it's doing it without being really ostentatious about it. It's not like we are now making a point. It's just this is the story that is being told.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That makes sense. So yes. Yeah. Highly recommend the Fear Street films. Having a great time with them. I'm looking forward, looking forward to seeing how this all plays out in um, Fear Street 1666, which yeah. I'm hoping they go full like the witch kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be I'm interesting. That's what I'm
1: So Karen, you also got to see a, another film that has just been released uh, in premiere access on disney plus right now which means i'm not gonna get to see it anytime soon but so you got to see black widow
0: i did it's also in theaters so for folks that are comfortable going back to the to the movie theaters you can watch it there or yes you can watch it at home on Premier access um and yeah so this is the movie that we've been asking for since black widow as a character was first introduced in iron man 2 in what like 2010 so it's been a long time coming and it was one of those things where it was like every time they announced like the next the next new character movie that they were introducing, it was just like, Well, where's the Black Widow movie? And then she died. And it was like, Well, what? <laughs> but then we got it after the fact. So, um, so yeah, Black Widow takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War. So this is when Natasha's kind of she's on the run because she helped out, um, steve's team in getting away and and so she's kind of hiding out and then she gets a package sent to her and then someone comes after the package and attacks her and she realizes like oh i have to deal with this so that ends up reuniting her with a girl who at one point in their childhood they were being raised as sisters and um but they were not sisters and then they were separated and so it's sort of um a family reunion story wrapped up in this story about um uh human trafficking and and girls being used and brutalized for uh in service to a you know um very evil very powerful man and um trying to reckon with that and so this is a movie where you've got natasha romanoff who is an avenger on the run but still an avenger and all we've ever heard in all of her appearances in these movies is about her her terrible past and like she did things in the past and and that she just you know felt really guilty about and so this is our final finally our opportunity to get a little bit more of what those things were that she did and it needs to be a balancing act because you have to give us enough to understand why she'd be so guilty, but it can't be so bad that it's like, well, now she's a terrible person and I can't forgive that. You know, this can't be Anakin Skywalker killing a room full of younglings. (laughs) Um, Because like, you really can't come back from that. We've already seen the redemption. You know what I mean? So, um, so it needs to be carefully balanced and they do a really good job with, with introducing what she has to feel so bad about. But also letting us know that even if she never forgave herself, we can and um, and so it's. I think the story works really, really well. It's very funny. Florence Pugh is hilarious, um, and and the two of them, the way they they bicker and banter together, just it's great. And and I'm going to be really excited to see Florence Pugh in additional. Uh, movies or tv shows or whatever in the mco because she her character is just a lot of fun and overall this movie ha- has so much action um you know one of the things that was so great about black widow is her her just acrobatic skills her gymnastics abilities and things and the way that she's able to to do these cool fights with her body and that's just on full display here it's it's done very very well but there's also just some like really interesting um sets that are happening and 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 things too so yeah it's it's uh just all all around it's just a fun marvel movie and we haven't had one of those in a while um because the pandemic this was supposed to be out last year but and and i think that that's part of why where the frustration is coming for some people because i've you know i've read a lot of critiques of people who were not Please, they didn't love the movie as much as they were hoping to and one of the big complaints one of the big complaints i've seen from folks is that it just it's it's too late it's too late it's, it's, it's the time has passed and i think that if this had come out last year when it was originally supposed to and we were one less year removed from avengers endgame it might not have feel felt quite so late but i mean what can you do about it nothing so Uh yeah, so it's I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think people who really like the Marvel movies and just are able to enjoy them when they're they're silly, but also trying to make a little bit of a deeper point, I think would enjoy this. So there you go. Well
1: then it sounds like I would enjoy it because that's usually what I watch the Marvel movies for. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also, I think, is this the first solo female directed?
0: Yes. Um, yeah, because uh Captain Marvel was co-directed. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And Kate Shortland, she did a great job with this. I mean, she had lots of high pressure gig. Yeah. And yeah. And she I think she did a great job with it. It looks good. And one of the things, this is one of the things about Black Widow. And like I feel like people were expecting like a bigger, glossier movie, like you know more colorful or something like thor ragnarok or or one of the captain america movies or something which funny enough the screenplay for black widow was written by one of the co-writers for ragnarok which is i think is why he's able to blend the social issues with the humor so well um because you can see a little bit of the the dna crossover but um but they're very different movies and the thing is like that makes sense because black widow and thor are very different characters and she is a much more understated person who types tends to hang out in the background she's not front and center most of the time and this is a movie that i feel is very worthy of who that character is Mm -hmm.
1: that's cool yeah yeah thor i mean thor is like a he's a god you know And and he's and all of it, all of the characters that he's dealing with when he's on you know asgard etc it that these are gods and they're big and flashy
0: yeah they're so. big personalities
1: yeah which and so, so the something like the ragnarok it all makes sense and the flashiness and the intensity and the weirdness etc all makes sense but you couldn't you couldn't apply that to black widow as a character i mean exactly yeah
0: and i and i feel like kate shortland really got that and so what we get is a movie that that really makes sense for who black widow is and who natasha romanoff is cool
1: well i will look forward also to seeing
0: it sorry yeah, i was go just on. gonna i was just gonna add it also has the best opening opening title credits of any of the mcu movies Ooh. and it has this very cool very like i was surprised by it but i guess it was released a couple weeks before the movie came out but this is very cool cover of nirvana's smells like teen spirit that i was not expecting and i was just like (laughs) this is a cool way to introduce this movie so yeah
1: well i would be interested to see when when i finally get to i mean i'm not i'm not comfortable going to movie theaters yet um and and i do not i'm not paying whatever 20 bucks for access i think it's 30
0: for god's sake yeah
1: no i can't do it the only like i'm i'm gonna go visit my parents in a couple of weeks like maybe if they're really into the idea we can like split the cost or something (laughs) if we really want to watch it yeah but um yeah no but cool i i'm glad i'm glad that it is worthy of that character because she really did deserve she deserved better than what she got um Mm -hmm. really across the board and it's good to hear that like her Her standalone film is actually giving her that yeah um so before we close everything out we did have one more question and uh this this is complicated because because (laughs) i hate answering not because i hate the question but because i hate trying to go through all of the numerous films that i have seen and really think about which ones I would like the best. right? So yeah. this is not a, a dunk on the question at all. This is just absolutely a dunk on the fact that I cannot make choices. Um, so from at Noah underscore Saturn, what are your favorite comedy films from each decade? This is a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna mention a few. I, I love uh, Buster Keaton's Sherlock Jr. Um, I love- I do Mark too awesome there we go Uh, so i love marx brothers um night at the opera i think it's definitely one of my favorites bringing up baby uh, it's funny the 1950s kind of begin to fall off for me um i'm i actually am struggling to think of a comedy from the 1950s that i really love
0: i pulled up my letterbox because i was just like hmm what do i what are some of the best comedies from that year and it's like some of these i'm all i don't really put white christmas in a comedy like i don't think of that as a comedy it's you a, know it's or, a
1: musical yeah it's a musical yeah. comedy
0: yeah like the top these are the comedy films released in the 1950s and it's like singing in the rain harvey white christmas kill the Empire, <laughs> some like it hot roman holiday it's like
1: some like it hot is definitely up there for
0: me. yeah 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 that Um, one is for sure
1: another one that i just recently saw is born yesterday which i i know it's been a long time uh i I should have seen that film a lot earlier than i have but have you have you seen born yesterday
0: i don't remember if i've seen the original i've seen the remake with melanie griffith but Mm -hmm. i don't know if i ever actually got to see the original
1: i mean the original made uh judy holiday It, it really did and she is fantastic in it like she just over i mean william holden is good but he really doesn't have to do much he just kind of has to stand there and be pretty she (laughs) she runs it and you know her and broderick crawford actually there's a wonderful scene between the two of them where they're playing cards and they there's almost no dialogue it's her she's she starts singing at one point um but that's it and just the interplay between the two of them in that scene is so funny and so tense at the same time um it's really brilliant but it's it's almost one that i hesitate to call a comedy because there are some really serious elements to it that sort of stop it from being too comedic almost um but it i don't know it's a fantastic film uh Mm -hmm. um yeah so like what about the 1960s the 60s have a lot of great comedies actually
0: let's see um
1: i mean i love the pink panther
0: oh yeah the pink panther i i would say is definitely one of my favorites panther, the odd couple
1: shot in the dark is, is the other one yeah the odd couple's a lot of fun i don't know it's it's odd because when i try to think of these sorts of things um i i immediately go like wait a minute what year was that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well and then there's movies like the apartment which get billed as a yeah. comedy but i'm like but that's It's such a serious movie. (laughs) It
1: goes into such serious territory. That's Mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's like, oh, this is like a lighthearted comedy. Oh no, it is not. No, No. it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I well and that's kind of it's similar with something like Born Yesterday. Um, you know, in in the apartment you have suicide and extramarital affairs and um depression and all Mm -hmm. like all kinds of things. In Born Yesterday, you've got like like it's not um uh, spousal abuse, but domestic abuse um you know bullying uh violence the control of american politics um all kinds of things although there is a really funny moment in born yesterday where they're like you can't you know you can't buy congress people and it's just like um <laughs> oh my oh my sweet summer child
0: <laughs> you're adorable
1: just like most of them are 100 honest just like <laughs> no no not even not even in
0: 1950 i'm
1: sorry no what about the 70s the the 70s again i think are a little hard um oh well i mean i do love elaine may's a new leaf which i think is the 70s uh
0: blazing saddles young frankenstein yeah oh yeah Mm -hmm. young
1: frankenstein still still is one that i go back to like a million times
0: yeah definitely
1: um 80s for me is definitely ghostbusters and that is a comedy guys (laughs)
0: that's a horror movie it's a horror drama (laughs) no it's not um for me i don't know clue is a big one Um, big um moonstruck the burbs the burbs is one of my very (laughs) favorites i love that movie so much if you're gonna remake hitchcock Make it a comedy with Tom Hanks. That's all. <laughs>
1: well, have you ever seen I think it's 80s actually? Have you ever seen Throw Mama from the Train?
0: Oh yeah, I love that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Similar... That's the thing. Like if you're gonna remake a Hitchcock movie, you need to do it in a you need to make it something completely like a different genre. Yeah. Um using and, those elements, but yeah.
1: And Hitchcock would appreciate that too, because he he put a lot of comedy into his films. Mm-hmm yeah um so 90s
0: Ah, see this is where i (laughs) i go okay i admit i love adam sandler i (laughs) i love um uh jim carrey uh um chris farley like those guys i mean (laughs) tommy boy i think is one of my favorites but then i also love groundhog day i love Mm -hmm. clueless i love um jerry Maguire. adam's family like there's so many comedies in the 90s that i love
1: i think for me just in terms of formative comedies it's it's wayne's world
0: Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm.
1: that's that's just like one of my favorites i also and i'm kind of embarrassed to say it's because yes it's deeply problematic um is ace ventura pet Detective? (laughs) It is so dumb. Um, and yes, yeah, so problematic. And I completely understand that. And, and we thought it was funny then. There are a lot of things that are not funny now. Yeah. Um, but still, there's just some of those jokes, like the, the, the scene where he basically just like he falls into a vat of water and like and winds up coming out of the bathroom it's just and it's it's childish it is 100 childish i was a child in the 90s i've that all right and it's still really funny
0: mm-hmm. that's the thing and that's a movie where you could lift out the very problematic element in the center of the movie and still have most of that movie intact and it yes. still works really well so yes i think the two movies from the 90s that i probably quote the most often are billy madison and so i married an ex-murderer and i, I am. Love- I love So I Married an Axe I love Murder. that I movie so much. I
1: forgot about that film. And when I
0: saw, a couple weeks ago, I saw the Pentaveret trending and I saw Mike Myers' Netflix Pentavrit. I instantly knew what this was and I was so excited. <laughs> They're doing a <laughs> limited series <laughs> where he's going to play different characters from like uh-huh. over the course of world history <laughs> that make up the Pentaverit.
1: There's <laughs> the 90s, so <laughs> the, the 90s really was that period where, like, you know what, Mike Myers was funny, he was yep. just really funny. <laughs> yep,
0: yep, it's so true. Oh man, I love them so much. So,
1: so now you get into the aughts, and I think that for me, two of them, and it's both Will Ferrell films, um, Anchor Man, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Talladega knights <laughs> um. Both of which, again, there, there are those times where I'm like, this is really childish, but also I cannot stop laughing. Like, <laughs> Talladega nice assessment, just like, sometimes I imagine Jesus as a badger. And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> dear sweet little, like, there's so, dear sweet little baby Jesus, who's lying there in your manger. <laughs> like, all of those things are just so funny to me um you know ah yeah san diego it's means a whale's vagina <laughs>
0: <laughs> see i have a favorite comedy from the aughts that is will ferrell but it's not either of those it is elf
1: yeah i, I, I
0: <laughs> love that movie so much and it actually got me through a very 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 dark winter uh, when I was suffering from some terrible depression that was the only movie that I could handle watching over this entire Christmas break one time uh, a few years ago I'm much better now but ever since then I've always wanted to tell Will Ferrell and John Favreau that like thank you for making this movie because <laughs> oh it's great and it's hilarious and I still to this day I just I love it I I watch it in July like it doesn't have to be Christmas time for me to just watch it and love it
1: so what about the the whatever they are the teens
0: oh man um so the decade that we just left
1: the decade that we just left not that long ago bridesmaids no. yeah i'll go with that i'll go with that bridesmaids
0: also, and ghostbusters, ghostbusters and spy <laughs> and easy a and <laughs> crazy rotations <Rich> and <laughs>
1: so there are a lot of really good ones and i refuse to do the 20s because um we just started them so <laughs> i'm like
0: have there ever been any comedies this decade just kidding i know there have
1: <laughs> have there i don't know 2020 um, like i mean 2020 just did not start off great
0: so. barb and star
1: <laughs> oh that's right barb and star mm-hmm. sure all right so thank thank you noah for that we hope that uh you know let let us know what your favorite comedies are from those decades like it would be great to know what other people actually like watching and they say some of those that karen just mentioned i was like oh man i haven't seen that movie in ages
0: <laughs> uh like, so i married an axe murder is just just actually those. own that on voodoo i'm gonna watch that <laughs> today that's gonna be my after the podcast watched for this week
1: <laughs> and I do like that you mentioned Clue because Clue is just, it's classic.
0: It is. I
1: mean, it, it was classic when it came out, practically. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And again, so many stupid jokes. When you really look <laughs> at, at some of these ones, like, this is dumb. These are like dumb puns.
0: And that's why they work. <laughs>
1: but it's really funny. Like It makes <laughs> me so mad. It's so funny.
0: I mean, and honestly, the evergreen GIF of Madeline Khan. Flames yeah. on the side of my face. Just like bur- burning, burning. <laughs> I used that this week when Kristen and I were talking about something.
1: Your last husband disappeared. Well, he was an illusionist. He never reappeared.
0: <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't a very, very good, good <laughs> illusionist. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyway. I love that movie so much.
1: And, and i i have to say tim curry carries that film too like he really does he, he has to uh, everyone in it is great and they're all very funny but he has to anchor it and he has to like keep everything moving and he does it so well and it's so breezy that in the entire sequence where like they're reenacting the murder and he's <laughs> running the cat like the entire cast all over the house is so funny and so sharp they're like,
0: counting the bullets one plus one yeah. plus two plus one <laughs>
1: yeah like that's that's not easy to do it really is a fantastic mm-hmm. performance um so yeah everybody so go watch good. clue now i don't know do it uh, it's on prime video <laughs> so i think that that is finally going to close us out um on this yet another grab bag episode we will be back uh, at some point with you know more themed episodes but man we really need to talk about some fun stuff this week
0: yeah we um, did. this was good so- thank you so much for that
1: Yes, I, I'm glad that we did this. Uh, so thank you so much, as always, to our patrons, who include Adriana, Ali, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much, guys, um, for continuing to support us. If you wanted to support us, um, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash citizen dame. We do have some more bonus episodes that we're getting done. We're going to do some more fun things for patrons. Um, So, you know, please join us. Also let us know if there are things that you would really like to do, um, that you would like us to talk about, you know, stuff like that, because we do want to, we do want to listen to our patrons because you guys really are keeping our lights on. So thank you for that. Um, You can, of course, visit our website, that's CitizendamePod.com. Karen has her Black Widow review up. Uh, I've got a few Tribeca reviews up and a few more Blu-ray things coming soon. Um, So watch out for that. And we do have a Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame, where you can just throw us a couple of dollars if you don't feel like making the commitment to Patreon. Um, And we have a Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. We're going to have some more stuff up as soon as we get our logo. We're redesigning our logo, so We want to wait to get new stuff up until we actually have that done. That's coming very soon. Um, You can get in touch with us a multitude of ways. We have our email address. That's CitizendamePod at gmail.com. So send us any questions, issues, you know, things you want us to chat about. Don't be an asshole to us. We deal with that enough on Twitter. Um, We do have a Twitter account (laughs) at CitizendamePod. And we are also um, on Instagram at CitizendamePod and on Letterboxd at citizen dame and we're going to put up some more lists but right now we've got a few running lists for like films that we talk about um a wonderful i i think i keep on adding to it a a list of great movies directed by women because we are tired of people asking us questions about this there are so many of them that do not include Lini riefenstuhl
0: <laughs>
1: uh so ch- check us out that's on letterbox at citizen dame of course you can get in touch with us individually karen where are you
0: i am on twitter instagram and letterboxd at karen m peterson
1: and i am on twitter unlocked now uh instagram and Letterbox at lh business <laughs> so <laughs> that will close us out for this week thank you so much for listening
0: bye anybody else want a whiskey yeah All right, look, pay attention, everybody. Wadsworth, am I right in thinking there is nobody else in this house? Mm, No. Then there is someone else in this house. No, sorry, I said no meaning yes. No meaning yes? Look, I want a straight answer. Is
1: there someone else or isn't there yes or no? Um, no. No, there is or no, there isn't. Yes. Please! Don't you think we should get that man out of the house before he finds out what's been going on here? Yeah. How can we throw him outside in this weather? If we let him stay in the house, he may get suspicious. If we throw him out, he may get even more suspicious. If I were him, I'd be suspicious already.
0: Oh, who cares? That guy doesn't matter. Let him stay locked up for another half an hour. The police will be here by then, and there are two dead bodies in the study. Shh! Well, there is still some confusion as to whether or not there's anybody else in this house. I told you there isn't. There isn't any confusion, or there isn't anybody else? Either, or both. Just give me a clear answer. Certainly. What was the question? Is there anybody else in the
1: house? No! No!